I'm alone up here. <laughs> what happened? Good to be with you guys today. Hallelujah. And uh, if you don't know me, I'm Steve. And uh, I teach full-time at a little school down the way called Grand Canyon University. Uh, I thought I'd give you a little background on this. this. is my beautiful wife, Lynn, as we heard. We've been here two years. We're so glad to be here now in the desert. Uh, we hail from, let's see, Hawaii, Idaho, California, a stint in Ohio, and in Virginia Beach, and now here. So it's good to be here and remaining bi-coastal. Our families are in California and Hawaii for the most part, and uh, also on the East Coast as well in Virginia Beach. And uh, this is such a privilege to be able to share with you today. We want to obviously keep lifting up our pastor, Paul, as well. So if you would be praying for him. Uh, the man never stops, though, does he? I mean, I got a message on Tuesday, the day that he's starting his treatment, saying, oh, just want to let you know, here's how it's going. Everything's going to go great on Sunday. And I write back, I email back, you need to be resting. <laughs> you need to relax. But uh, he's, he's an amazing person, by God's grace. We pray for his healing as well, and that uh, the Lord will have mercy. Well, last week, uh, we were here in Acts chapter what? Do you remember? You guys are good. All right, chapter 17. So we're going to go back there today and open up a little bit more of a different perspective. Uh, as Paul mentioned, Sometimes uh, the, the same message or the same text can have multiple messages, and part of the focus today, I hope, will be uh, seeing some different aspects of this text. You know, I teach about 300 students a semester this year. Uh, do you think they all have the same background, all speak the same language? In fact, most of them are 18 to 22. I don't really understand much of that language. Uh, you guys know what I mean, right? And uh, Lynn and I have our own 20-somethings, and sometimes that can be a challenge itself. So what do you do when you're challenged with something that uh, you don't understand or different views of reality that maybe you've not connected with? That's our message today. And the title of it is Respect, Connect, and Protect. Do you think we can remember that? Uh, let's work on that together uh, from Acts chapter 17. What I want to do is look at this in three parts, not just those three aspects, but the three situations or places that the Apostle Paul and those with him uh, were engaged in. All right, so let's see, along with respect, connect, and protect, can we remember these cities? You want to try them with me? Thessalonica, Berea, Athens. All right. Ready to get your plane tickets? Uh, would be fun to be there and see what's going on. And, of course, all of these exist in some form today, different from then, but there are some similarities still, Asia Minor primarily, and Greece. Well, Paul, uh, in Acts 17, which is Luke's writing, you know, Luke wrote the Gospel of, hey, fantastic. Grant was buried in who's to? Um, so he wrote not only Acts, or not only Luke, but Acts. And so Acts is his follow-up. And Luke was a what? What was he at his job? Physician, absolutely. So he's very concerned about details, isn't he? 
And if you read this, you can really get down into the details, or you can read it broadly. Well, today we're going to try a combination of that. Thessalonica, then to Berea, then to Athens. This is Paul's journey at this time. What is he doing there? Well, he's attempting to serve the Lord in expanding the gospel around the known world, the Western world at that time, or Middle Eastern too. And so he's been called by the Lord to go to the Gentiles. He's just gotten out of prison not too long before this, and now he is moving forward with the message. First off, in in Thessalonica, he does something that he does in Berea, that he does in Athens. He goes a certain place. Where does he go? Absolutely. He goes to church, the synagogue at the day, right? And that is where he starts. Does he stop there? No. One thing we know about Paul is he recognizes that God has many different places and contexts in which he's calling people to minister the gospel, right? Not just in church. If this is the only place we talk about the Lord or the things of Christian life, we're missing the boat if we're following in the footsteps of Jesus and Paul and their methods. Of course, what we see in Acts 17 in the first part is his trip into Thessalonica. So let's pick this up there at the first part. Uh, They had passed through some other lands. They come to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. Was Paul a Jew or Gentile? He was a Jew. Was he a nominal Jew or was he really orthodox and committed? Really orthodox, really committed. But he had also had a relationship experience with Christ who was also Jewish? Yes, exactly. Jesus is Jewish too. So, Um, This connects deeply with his whole heritage to go into a synagogue is very natural for Paul. So where do you go that's natural for you in your daily routines? Well, obviously, once a week at least, it's here, right? Or perhaps in some other small group context, ladies' context, a men's retreat. Glad we have some men here today, Uh, although I like to speak to ladies. His custom was to go into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he did something. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Wow. Explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. Now we're going to stop there and jump to Berea. On arriving in Berea, Paul and Silas, they went to what? the Jewish synagogue, he talks about the Bereans for a minute, and then it says a little bit further down, um, many of the Jews believed because what was going on? They were hearing the word of God about this same Jesus. Jump over to Athens, while Paul was waiting for them, verse 16, he was looking around the city, distressed with the idols, but he did what? He reasoned, where? in the synagogue with the Jews and even the God-fearing Greeks. He reasoned elsewhere, but it seems like every time, where did he start? In the synagogue. Do you know synagogue and ecclesia? Those are the two words that underlie synagogue and church. We could be called a synagogue as well. 
because these were just optional terms that were used for the gathering of the people of God. And the early Christians decided to use the word ecclesia, the gathered together, instead of synagogue to sort of differentiate between those, you know, in Christ and those uh, not necessarily in Christ in, in the synagogue. So it, it very much is like translates to church in many ways. So Paul, like us, feel the necessary basis for where we go to be taught for us and to teach and to learn and to encourage people to come to a deeper knowledge or maybe a first knowledge of this Savior, Jesus Christ. But notice after that, he doesn't leave and say, you know what, let's get out of here. I can't stand this culture. It's going to blank in a blank basket, right, going to hell in a handbasket, and I don't want anything to do with it. Oh, pop culture, it, it, it's, everything's getting worse, and the world's just on fire. Well, actually, interestingly enough, Paul might have thought, we look at his other letters, that we're getting close to the end. And, of course, since the resurrection, we've been getting close to the end. But the reality is Paul is willing to do what? Engage with people of different backgrounds, contexts, beliefs, and so on. So what I see in Paul already in these first sections in Acts is the word respect. I see that he goes into the synagogue, he respects the tradition, he respects the community, and they respect him, don't they? They're willing to allow him to get up and speak and preach. Now, some are not at all excited for what he has to say because this, for many, coming from different um, backgrounds, is strange to their ears to hear that God sent his only son to die for the sins of the world, including their own, is not a message that the Jews were willing to hear unless, as it says in the text, they were persuaded, believed, and God appointed those to come to know him. Okay, so there were some that became followers. We'll get to that. But in reality, it was kind of a mixed congregation. Some were listening, some were challenging, and some were receiving. Um, but in any case, Paul showed respect both in the synagogue and outside. And so I want to admonish us as we look at the rest of the text too that one of our first steps in connecting with both inside and outside the church is to respect the beliefs and practices of others, religious or otherwise. Now I'm sure that some of you might hear the word accept connected to respect. I want to differentiate that a little bit, and, and that's a challenge with my students as well, because to respect something, does that equ equate with accept something? See, I can respect you, and you can respect me in terms of our differences of beliefs and positions and experiences, but that doesn't mean I have to do what? Accept it for my own beliefs and practices and uh, way of life. Very important to differentiate this, right? So someone, for example, Paul might run into in the marketplace who's worshiping gods, false gods, idols carved with the hands. Uh, does he grab a stick and start beating them over the head, you know, or yelling at them and saying, you stupid loser, 
What are you doing? You've got to worship God, not these things. No, he first makes a connection, but he respects the fact that people are in different places. He doesn't want to leave them there. He's come with a message, but we have to begin by respect, and that doesn't mean accept, right? Different. Now, respecting a person would be accepting a person, too, for being a full human being made in the image of God, but not necessarily accepting the beliefs and practices. And so another differentiation between accepting in terms of loving all, Jesus' message, but not accepting all things that are believed and taught and practiced. A significant difference. So beginning with respect. And then Paul moves to another stage. Not only does he respect, he begins to connect. What do we mean? Well, in each of these places, it seems he's connecting because he's speaking about them according to their traditions and connecting with them. In the synagogue, he's trying to do what? In Thessalonica, he is reasoning using his, what's reasoning use? Our minds, our brains. Uh, Reasoning with them from the scriptures Doing what? Explaining and proving, seeking to give proofs. He's a logician, too, that Christ, the Messiah, the Mashiach HaMashiach, they were waiting for, Jesus the Messiah, would have to suffer, die, and raise. They were not looking for that kind of Messiah. They were looking for a political Savior that would get the yoke of Rome off their backs, right, in the empire. I grew up in a tradition, partly at least, one of the traditions I grew up in early as a Christian was the idea that you check your mind out at the door and you just let the spirit work, right? Your mind is the problem. It wasn't until a few years later that when I was reading the greatest commandment of all, when Jesus was asked by a religious person even, what's the greatest commandment of all? He said, well, this is it. Love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, soul, strength, and noose. Noose is mind. It's a Greek term that, by the way, some say he was just repeating what's in the law in Deuteronomy. He's not because in Deuteronomy, that passage did not include the word mind. He adds mind in the New Testament. Isn't that interesting? So Jesus makes it clear that the way which we think and reason about things philosophize, argue, make proofs, explain, uh, all of that is part of what God calls us to. We can't check out our minds and just say, well, whatever happens, happens. He doesn't go into the city and say, hey, how's it going? I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? That's the end of it. Well, I feel I'm a, you know, I had an experience once. No, he's actually doing what? Reasoning from the scriptures, explaining and proving that this Jesus had to go through this in order to be the Savior and that you are called to him. This is a powerful passage for those of us who are passive about how we ought to extend our faith and and provide reasons for faith. Now, this is not to say Paul's not embodying his beliefs, too. It's important that we embody the beliefs and not be an angry debater 
Anyone been to a debate before where maybe somebody won the debate, but they were just a nasty individual and you'd never want to be like them or with them? That's not Paul because it says he seeks to persuade and he was trying, of course, to live it out before them as well. So what's he doing? He's respecting and he's connecting. In Berea, it says also that he is eager to get to them and to share with them. And the crowds are not all that happy about it. There, some of them are being stirred up by others who disagree with this message. Jews that came from Thessalonica followed him, right? And they're saying, hey, this is, this is heresy. This is bad. Well, Paul is still continuing the message anyway and sharing, it says, from the scriptures. They received the message with great e eagerness in Berea. They examined the Bible to see if this was true, what he was saying. And many of them, it says what? Believed. Notice in Thessalonica, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks. And I love this. Ladies, Jerday, and not a few prominent women. The scriptures absolutely mark out that the women there were prominent who came to know Christ. Uh, they had a radical effect on that community in Thessalonica. Remember, this was a goddess-worshiping area, too, as well as in Athens. In Berea, obviously, Paul connected and built relationships and bridges because it says here, many of the Jews believed there as did also a number of prominent Greek women and Greek men, and it's in that order in the text. So something's going on. This message is connecting with a lot of people, but at the same time, some are trying to kill him. <laughs> I think that's a good sign that we're doing something right if we have both support people that come to know and believe, and people that don't. If we're not preaching like that, a message that separates, like Jesus said, so you think I come to bring peace on the earth? I actually don't. I come to bring a what? A sword and to differentiate those who are going to follow God and who are not. That's Paul's message. This is the Christ. This is the one who the Scriptures speak of. This is the one to believe in. If not, then you're offline. He didn't say, if not, then you're just fine. Smile big, have a great day, and be happy. Because God loves you no matter what you believe. Actually, God made this way for us to believe. All right? And he loves you, but he wants to love you this way in Christ. And in Athens, he also, as we said, is in the synagogue talking with the Jews, and we find out, too, that many here hear about the resurrection. And it says uh, toward the end of Acts 17 here in verse um, uh, 34, a few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus. Also, here we go again, a woman named Damaris and a number of others. So Luke specifically calls out names and genders and prominent and others. 
just to say there's a lot of different kinds of people who are coming to know the Lord. It's not a particular kind. It's a lot of different kinds. And this is when our message goes forward, we trust that the Lord is the Lord not going to bless that as we live and proclaim his goodness. But maybe also we'll be persecuted at the same time. It's a combination. So to avoid persecution, don't say or do anything that's Christ-centered. To avoid connection, don't say or do anything to connect with others outside of a small circle of believers. And to make sure that you don't get disrespected, um, just simply accept what everyone believes as the way of salvation or as just acceptable. See, again, this is not the direction Paul's calling us to. He's calling us to something much more important. Finally, Paul calls us not just to respect and to connect, but to protect. What do we mean by that? Well, in, all, in each of these places where Paul preached, he had attended to, cared for, and defended the one true story of God in each setting, or we might call that God's drama of redemption. Notice he didn't compromise the text. He didn't compromise the truth. He actually protected it very carefully. It would have been much easier for him to just say, I'm coming to tell you that God loves you and simply leave. Instead, he came to share this is the way that God has provided and one has risen from the dead, named Jesus the Christ, who is calling you to himself today. So he's protecting the story. But I see him doing that in all three places, especially Athens. So our, our final focus is on Athens because when he begins to dispute, like we heard last time with the different philosophers, the Epicureans, the Stoics, he not only connects with where they're at, he now protects the story of God and gets creative in the midst of it. What does he do? Now here's how he combines respect, connect, and protect all in one sermon or message. After some are saying, what is this babbler trying to say? Right, the, the, the philosophers are not following him. Babbler is a term for someone who would go around and pick up little pieces of information, uh, you know, where there was a discussion going on or discussions in the Areopagus about all sorts of different ideas about reality, and then he'd just throw them out like they weren't his. You know, just throw them out. Uh, and, and sort of like a bird picks up food and distributes it. And so that's what they were calling him. You're just a picker. And uh, he seemed to be advocating foreign gods, they said. But look at this. In verse um, 22, Paul stands up in this meeting, and he says, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Now, this could be taken in a positive or negative way. It just depends on how the rest of the text go, and we see he sees it positively. He says, I see that in every way this is the case. I walked around, and I saw your objects of worship, and you even had one to this unknown God. You wanted to cover all your bases, <laughs> all right? So if one of the thousands of pantheons of gods wasn't covered, here, this one covers everybody, all right? Now what I'm going now what you worship as something unknown I'm going to proclaim to you. 
This is such a radical statement. Did you hear that? What you do what? Worship as unknown. I'm going to proclaim to you. So you can picture that the Greeks were going to this unknown, unmarked, other than to an unknown God and worshiping. I can't imagine them saying what? Whoever you are, whatever you are, I worship you. Uh, If I missed you, I'm sorry. (laughs) I understand that I don't know it all. But Paul now says, he commends them for having this and says, now let me tell you who this is that you're actually worshiping. And then he tells the whole story of God, the whole drama of redemption faithfully. He begins with the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples made by human hands. This is a complete repudiation of the gods of the valleys and of the hills and of the mind and of the, the, um, the feet and of the lusts and of the appetites. There aren't any. He says there's only one. He's created it all. He's not served by your human hands. He gives you life and breath and everything. This is the creator, right? He's talking about God as story number one, act one, creation. God is the creator. And from one man he made every nation of men that they inhabit the whole earth. He determined the times. This is the sovereign God. And God did this that you might seek for him and know him because he is not far from any one of us. So now we have God imminent or close, not so distant in the heavens you never could know him. And then he does the unimaginable. He says, as some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. Now this is very interesting. What in the world is Paul doing? He's actually quoting poets that they would know. This would be similar to hip-hop artists, pop culture icons, right? Psychology, uh, PBS uh, experts, Dr. Phil, or anybody else you can imagine from one end of the spectrum to the other. He calls out and says, and you know what? He didn't name them here. We might have, but we don't have the text for that. But these were two well-known thinkers in their arena who had actually said those very words, God is, we are his offspring. Epimenides from 600 B.C. in his Cretitia said, we are his offspring. And the Sicilian poet Eratus in the 4th century B.C., said the very same thing in his hymn to Zeus. So Paul quotes Greek poets elsewhere also in the New Testament. So this is that whole area that I think is crucial to connect with where the culture's at, intellectual culture too, and what? Protect the gospel itself. This is that bridging ability. I believe we're called to be creative in how we share the gospel. This is creativity. This is marvelous. We are his offspring. So then he goes on and says again, uh, he has passed over judging the world even though you have been in idolatry until now. Now he has set a day he will judge the world. Who's this? The one who he's appointed, Jesus Christ. And he has proven this to all people by doing one thing, raising him from the dead. There's the verification 
of this being the one who God has appointed to judge rightly and to bring salvation. Now, the final punch. So when they heard this, and this is not Paul's fault, some of them sneered. Give me your best sneer, guys. Come on. Uh, what are they sneering for? Because this doesn't fit with their view of reality, does it? It's not part of their story yet. They sneered when they heard about the, the raising from the dead. But others, some did, but others said, we'll hear you about this subject again. So can you give me your best curiosity look there? Hmm. So you're reflecting. You're really thinking about this might make some sense. So you've got the sneering, ah, get it out of here. You've got the, hmm, curious. And then you've got a few believed and became followers. So let me see your best smile. All right. I've heard that message, and I believe that. That's awesome. Of course, we only have the very limited documentation about all that Paul said there. This is enough for us to understand, but certainly he was there for a while, wasn't he? Talking to him about Jesus the Christ. So in closing today, my encouragement is this, that we begin where Paul began, with respect of both those in the synagogue that didn't believe exactly as he did. They were not necessarily followers of Messiah. And out in the marketplace, which we didn't even touch on much, which means anywhere we go, the mall, our communities, our grocery stores, gas stations, and of course, in the intellectual circles we're a part of too, wherever that might be, our communities outside of that. So we give respect to those who believe and practice differently than we do. Doesn't mean accept their views. Then we connect. We connect with everyone. We seek to build bridges and not barricades, right? I know some of us, and I know from my past, it was fear that kept me from doing that because I didn't know much. Don't be fearful. I believe God will give you the words and that you continue to learn. He will empower you to be his servant. And then lastly, protect. And this means to always attend to, care for, and defend the one true story that God has given us to live by, God's drama of redemption. So in sum, what three terms summarize today's message? First, respect. Secondly, connect. And lastly, protect. And to that end, we ask the Lord to bless, shall we? Gracious God, thank you for your love and kindness to us. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be all that we're called to be, like Paul, willing to step out in any context to respect others, to connect with them, and to protect your glorious gospel. To this end, we ask you for strength, wisdom, and empowerment in Jesus' name. Amen.